So, the topic is taming the mind. Gail and I have gone through just about every system and therapy you could think of. Uh, and I remember when we were trying to combine Krishnamurti and Gestalt therapy. <laughs> and somehow we had come up with the rule that you're not supposed to think. <laughs> Is there anyone here who's tortured themselves in that way? Try to make themselves stop thinking? It is the worst hell you can put yourself in. <laughs> there is no way to do it. And yet you're supposed to do it. And Chris Krishnamurti wasn't saying that. Nor was Fritz Perls. But that's what we had divined from the whole thing. There are actually two minds. And that's why we don't have to stop the ego mind from thinking. We simply relinquish the ego mind. We simply relinquish our interest in it. And we put on, as the Bible says, that mind which was also in Christ Jesus. Let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And in one way or another, it seems to me that everyone who's written on this subject for the last several thousands of years has said essentially the same thing. You don't do anything to the chattering mind. You put on a wholly different mind. Jerry Jampolsky and I uh, were, were sitting in a restaurant in... Uh, I don't know if it was Seattle or Vancouver. It was several months ago. And, and the uh, table next to us was a lady that had a hat on. It was uh, sort of a cowboy-looking hat. And it had blinking red lights. <laughs> <laughs> said something like, uh, love me, love me, or uh, I'm your friend, or I forget, something like Something very heartwarming. Uh, and then you've all seen those propeller hats. Well, if you were to have a hat that had a propeller and a horn and blinking lights, that might be considered the ego mind. See, the propeller will not take you anywhere. It will not fly you. And the lights will not illumine your way. And the horn would not warn another vehicle on the highway. The whole thing's useless, but it makes a tremendous amount of racket and, and draws a great deal of attention. And that is the ego mind. And we actually put it on because it's not our natural mind. So we have to put chatter on. We don't actually get rid of chatter. We wear it. And what could be considered uh, our love mind? Our quiet mind, our real mind. In the beginning, feels like something that we must put on. This warm, comfortable hat. A stocking cap, perhaps, that can be pulled down and cover our entire being. Something that attracts no attention, but feels so good. 
I would like to ask you to join me in a bizarre meditation. <laughs> and that is, I want you to first of all put on the blinking propeller horn blowing hat, listen to it chatter, actually make up the things that it would say if you can't hear it at the moment. See, this is one of the things. As soon as you look at the ego, it begins to quieten down. And so it's very difficult to practice the ego in a meditation. So, because you're actually looking at it. And when you look at it, it begins to disappear because there's not, there was nothing there to begin with. But you know the kinds of things it says. This morning, I, remember I was, I, I, we've talked in here about how in the morning is a very good time to notice how the mind goes from one problem to another. And I was lying there, uh, and uh, I thought of problems that I hadn't thought of in years. <laughs> I suddenly remembered that there was someone who had bought a piece of property near us who had made a comment that she didn't like the sound of our rooster. What was I going to do about this? I hadn't thought about this in years. They'd never. And so I looked at that and I said, yes, indeed, that could be a problem. That's all that's necessary. It could be a problem. And so then I was quiet and peaceful. And then in a few minutes, I found myself thinking about tomatoes. You know, tomatoes used to be called nightshade plants and they were considered poisonous. I started wondering if there was something to that. <laughs> I mean, now they cover everything. You notice they, they decorate plates and they're put on salads. They're red. You might suspect a communist plot, especially if they're poisonous, because suddenly everywhere they're tomato. Oh, yes, that could be a problem. I could make tomatoes a problem. And so forth. I know you know the process. It's just that for some reason in the morning it's especially apparent because we haven't yet fully put on the ego cap. And so their mind is somewhat still just because of this transition between the night dream and the waking dream. And so you can sort of see the, the ego gearing up, the ego being this imaginary identity that we've all made. So let me ask you to join me in that. Now, I will just going to have to rely on your... This is the honor system. We won't know that you're actually doing this. While your eyes are closed, you first put on the ego cap, the chattering mind. Then take it off and put on your quiet, happy, still mind. Do that once, or if you want to, twice. Okay. An interesting thing happened to me. I don't know if it happened to anyone else. When I put on my ego cap, I heard the Wow, wow. When I put on my still mind, I heard the birds singing outside, which I hadn't heard before. That, that means nothing. <laughs> I knew, knew it should be very interested as to what happened. Uh, that's all there is to it. The mere intentionality does the work. Simply wanting.
to be quiet, to be restful, to be peaceful, does the work. It's done now, and what we're putting on is now. This, this territory that we do not believe even exists. But in order to be willing to do that, we have to dare to walk away from the suffering of the world. It is a general misconception that love and compassion and true helpfulness have something to do with being crushed by the same sadness that is crushing someone else. That we must take on another person's sorrow. Those of you who have begun to heal a little bit may be going through the, the transitional phase of taking on other people's illnesses. This is something that happens for a period of time and then we go beyond it. You will be treating someone for a headache and suddenly you've got the headache and they don't have it. <laughs> this happened to Mary Baker Eddy when she was traveling for Phineas P. Quimby. I just love that name. Phineas Fillmore Quimby. Um, but every two weeks she'd have to come back and Quimby would have to heal her because she had taken on the, the illnesses. That this, is, this comes from the lingering belief that this is somehow loving to do that. Gail and I do two kinds of counseling that would indeed tear us to pieces if we did a great deal of this. We do do some of this. One is counseling of couples in which we see couples break up. And this is an extremely disturbing thing when you see a perfectly good happy relationship break up and these people now are saying things that are very hateful to each other this is one of the things that we thought we could count on in this world these relationships these love relationships that we could find someone who would be our best friend and be loyal and we can see in this other couple they fought that maybe for many years and now they're not just parting they are parting and cursing each other as they go. This is extremely disturbing. And one of the first things that we noticed when we started doing this kind of work was that we would take on the problem that the couple had. We would find ourselves suddenly arguing because we had picked up the anger that the couple had. Then we began to realize this was not helpful to them. It certainly wasn't helpful to us. It had nothing to do with true compassion. And another kind of counseling that we do that's even more disturbing uh, to us, maybe because we have a child that's about the age of many of the children that we uh, are coming in contact with, at least uh, in memory, and that is we counsel couples who have had a child die. We help couples who've lost a child. And it's extremely tempting to be in the presence of this couple and suddenly succumb. <clears throat> but the minute we do that, we are of no use to them. It's like jumping into the quicksand. And now you have no firm footing with which to pull the other person up. You see nothing but the same dark, thick, black clouds that they see. We must dare 
to walk away from the suffering of the world. Now, there are many people who are in, in total sincerity advocating that we share the suffering of our brothers and our sisters, that we cry with them, that we hurt with them. And this rings to a, to a feeling within us of wanting to help them. It's just not the way to do it. And you will never tame your mind. You will never still your mind as long as you believe that's necessary. Because the day will assault you. There are a thousand things that will hit you in the face if you believe you must accept this burden. We do not lighten the load of another when we share the other person's burden. The burden doubles in size. It does not shrink. It is true that a healing can take place by our becoming sick. But it is not a true healing if it comes about in that way. Someone who's healed in that manner has not learned how to walk toward true health. They have been temporarily relieved, but that is all. We must dare to walk away from the suffering of this world. Now, the reason I mention that is because your ego believes so firmly that this is compassion and love and that all this spiritual stuff is some sort of insular selfishness, some sort of cold-hearted turning your back on the world. This argument is so deep-rooted that it will genuinely stop your progress if you do not look straight at it and begin to question it. So notice every time you take on another person's suffering. See if this has been truly helpful. Has it made you a better teacher of God? Has it made you more gentle? Has it made you happier? Has it made you a better teacher of happiness to do this? And you will see for yourself that this has nothing to do with the light of path the lighted path in the, in the gentle way. But it must be looked at because we do believe in this. And so much of the chattering in our mind is based on this premise. We must protect ourselves against the future. We cannot let down our guard. This is why children, very young children, are so often happier than adults. They don't try to protect themselves against the future. They don't try to control the future. Very young children do not attempt to control the future. Now, as they get a little older, then you can begin seeing them. You can begin to see them take this on. And as we've talked about in adolescence, they. They really take it on in a big way. But very young children are confused only because we interject the future into the present and say, yes, but you've got to get ready now. And there's these dramatic shifts in mood where we're playing with them one minute and suddenly everything's become real silent and serious and so forth. And they don't see it. The it that's causing all the sternness suddenly. The reason they don't see it is it's in the future. We have a future appointment. 
We must make these transitions gentle for our children. They do not understand this burden that we carry, that we must constantly rake over the future and be ever at guard against anything that might happen. There are two tools that can be extremely helpful in taming the mind, stilling the mind. One is forgiveness and the other one is stillness. Forgiveness is an extremely difficult concept for most people. They don't know how to do it. It seems impossible. And once again, it's this future orientation that generally makes it so difficult. We think we must forgive for the future, and we know we cannot do that. A child forgives for now. Yes, they, they got very mad at their playmate, but it's now, and suddenly they're playing with them, although they were having a screaming fit just a few seconds ago. Now you see them playing together. It's, why? Because the present is more interesting than what happened. Now, of course, they're educated out of this. The only time we can forgive is now. The only time we can learn to still our mind is now. A still mind unites with God. A still mind is one with the truth. You will not have to learn the truth if you will practice stillness. You will be one with it. It will be there in your mind. You will not have to take it from books or lectures or anything else and put it in your mind. It will be there if the mind is still. The fog will lift and there will be such an array of flowers and singing birds and bright, bright sunlight That you will say, why didn't I lift the fog before? This swirling, twirling, meaningless mist. And all that it takes is stillness to do that. As long as we're judging, as long as we hold a grudge, we cannot still the mind. There is this dust devil swirling around must be calmed. But remember, it is calmed not by fighting the dust devil, but by putting on your still mind. So the first thing that makes forgiveness so difficult is this thought that we've got to forgive the person in the future. Somehow we have to forgive them. It's got to last. The forgiveness has got to last. It does not have to last. It only has to be now. You only have to forgive a little bit now. And if tomorrow you hate them ten times more, it makes no difference because it will still be now and the option will be, shall I practice forgiveness now? The second thing that makes it so difficult is the belief that we have to make the other person's behavior acceptable to us. This is impossible. You cannot make the other person's behavior acceptable to you. And to try to do so is merely to practice a deep dishonesty and a confusion. Their behavior must be looked beyond. So this is another form of switching hats. 
you look at their other hat, you see that their, that their behavior comes from their ego and is therefore dismissible. But do not rationalize and say that somehow it's all right or somehow it's good. For example, the, uh, the teenagers now that are going around cutting air hoses at the filling stations. Someone will say, well, uh, the purpose of all this is to teach us uh, how wonderful air is and that air is free and even the filling stations give it away free. And, and this is a great, great lesson. And these are little teachers of God going around doing it. But the same little teachers of God are filling the uh, mailboxes uh, with manure. Now, would you please tell me where the lesson is there? See. Well, the carpenter ants hollowed out all my vegas. Must be something good in that. Well, at least they don't smack and uh, they clean up after themselves. You see, it's a bright side to it. This is nonsense. We can't get anywhere doing this sort of dishonest business. We turn from the darkness to the light. That's why it's so simple. That's why it's so easy. If it's a struggle for you to forgive someone, you are trying to make something out of their behavior. You're trying to interpret it in a different way. Reinterpret it. You cannot reinterpret behavior. It did come from their ego. All behavior comes from the ego. Even if two people are standing and talking truth, that comes from the ego. God does not talk truth. It might be pleasant to talk truth. And we have to talk about something. <laughs> it is the heart connection. We are a family here. We are walking home. Our hearts are connected. It is the peace and the love between us. It is the strength that we gain from each other because we know we're walking the same path. We have chosen a particular set of words and symbols and techniques and so forth that we've that we find helpful. We talk about this and we read certain books. And we have a general way that, that includes us all. And we are brothers and sisters. And we, and we reap great encouragement from the efforts of each other. We see that the other person falls down and picks himself up. And this encourages us to do the same. Use any trick you need to in order to forgive someone. Any trick, any mental trick you want to. The point is to bring your mind to peace. To hold no grudge. Possibly you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't have any grudges. I don't have any grievances. Look more closely. 90% of your mental activity revolves around grievances and grudges and judgments. We cannot look at another body without judging it. One of the mental tricks is to say, his Adam's apple does the best it can. 
It's a very big Adam's apple. There's nothing he could do about it. It's just the way he came. But we do this. We look at people and we judge them for their appearance. Is this not insanity that we would look at someone and because of their features or their age or how they're wearing their hair or their clothes that our mind would become mean and contracted and bitter? Can it be said we are not lunatics? <laughs> we are lunatics to do this. In my um, circle of friends, I have a loud <coughs> chewer. And this has been uh, a problem, I realized uh, the other day. A long-standing problem. I had not forgiven this noise. Uh, so, I, I was why has this gone on for years that that I, that I had not forgiven this this person for the loud chewing. Well, first of all, I thought that he knew better. You know that that uh, he had, like everyone else, had been told, you know, this is not something you do, and and uh, no one is interested in the contents of your mouth, and you know all the things that we were told as kids. Was that going to get me where I'd actually mentioned this? years before to this person on more than one occasion. <laughs> this is an extremely difficult thing for anyone to stop. You know, these sort of things that we have, the way we eat, certain words that we use, our grammar, uh, all kinds of things like that, our certain mannerisms, whether we hang our head or whether we uh, squint up our eyes when we're getting serious or... Anything that may disturb us, there's very little another person. They can make enormous efforts and somehow change this one aspect. But do you really want to put them through that? They'll just be another thing. So one of the tricks is to just look at it. So this is what I did the other day. It was much, there was much noise coming from this person's mouth. I found that I was a little bit irritated. <laughs> And I just started listening to it, not trying to do anything, not trying to accept it, anything, not trying to say any, anything about it, but just listening to it. And what happened was that I began thinking of other chewing noises that were perfectly acceptable to me. There was the, the nursing sound that a baby makes, equally as loud, a delightful sound. There was the lapping that a little puppy makes. A wonderful sound. There's the crunching noise of a of a ground squirrel as it sits in a tree. Have you ever heard that? Equally as loud, you see. And suddenly I realized this was so silly. How had I decided that this was a bad noise? It wasn't. Now, if I had started out by saying, I'm going to make myself see this is a good noise, I couldn't have done it. But when I was still and just listened, I listened to every little crack. <laughs> I could tell you exactly at what point in the mastication the, ma the lips parted. Because I was listening. I was very interested. First of all, I got kind of interested in how they ate. They First of all, they put the food in their mouth. And for 
Maybe one or two chews, the mouth was closed. This is very... I hadn't noticed that before. <laughs> this was probably a leftover uh, resolve or something that they had made. Then toward, as, the, as, as they were beginning to swallow the food, which you could also hear, then, then the mouth would come open and there would be the... So that was a, I got very interested in this whole process and how it worked, you see. Didn't try to do anything about it, just watched it, just looked at it. Let me suggest that as a mental trick. The next time someone's looks irritate you, the way they're talking irritates you, how loudly they're talking, the way they're dressed, just look at it. Krishnamurti talks about in India about how the dogs bark all night. And there's nothing you can do but sit, lie there, and listen to the dog bark. As long as you don't listen to the dog bark, it's going to disturb you. If you try to fight the barking of the dog, but if you listen to the barking of the dog, pretty soon you're asleep. Because there is no harm in it. This is a world of appearances. It is not a world of good and evil. It is a world of judgments. No one's definition of good and evil is the same. We are looking at our judgments projected all over the place. Look at anything and you'll begin to see its total innocence and meaninglessness. The only thing that's in this world is the light of God. But it cannot be seen as long as judgment is intact. <coughs> judgment builds and sustains the hallucination. It gives it substance. It wraps us in this carpet of things and people and events and changes. It's as thick as a curtain. Stop the judging and the projection leaves because the projector has been turned off. Stillness, looking, turns it off. Another little trick. A very, very simple, very effective trick of quieting grievances, judgments, dislikes, is to surround the object or the person in light. Just surround them in light. Just surround them in light. Another one is to bless them. Say words of blessing to them in your mind. I bless you, my sister. I bless you, my brother. You are a child of God. You try very, very hard. I bless you. You are loved. You are loved. And you see that they are loved by that which loves us all. Dearly, totally, forever, you are loved. You are blessed. You are surrounded by love. The great rays come from the heavens and dance upon your shoulders, light your hair, shine in your eyes, fill your heart. You are blessed. You see, this has nothing to do with their behavior. You're looking beyond behavior. There are imageries. These are tricks. Use them. They help. 
put what they did on a blackboard, see the scene on a blackboard, and erase it. Just erase it. Very effective little trick. Just totally erase it. Picture some magnificent waterfall that fills and purifies every cell in your body, every cell in your brain, every thought, which is all that a cell is. Go and stand totally divested under this celestial waterfall and let it purify you, fill you, wash you clean. The little kids at the Center for Attitudinal Healing have a nice one. I may have told you about it. They reach up like this. They open up their head and they take their brain out and they set it right in front of them. And then they take a hose and they look at their brain and it's covered with all these fears about the future because they're supposed to be dying and all these things that their playmates are doing to them at school and the upcoming bone marrow and all this stuff. And they see all this stuff, all this dirty stuff, and they take this hose and they wash their brain completely clean till it just sparkles. They put it back in their head and they close it up. It's a little trick. But it shows us that we are serious. Just to do a little thing like that sides with your heart, with your true intention, with your true will. There's another one they do, uh, which they put everything in a garbage can. You probably know that one. You just dump it all in the garbage can. I know a woman who was physically healed when she picked up her ex-husband by the scruff of the neck and shoved him in the garbage can. <laughs> they put the lid on, you tie it all down, you put this great big helium balloon on it, and you just want float away. So. There are physical ways to forgive. They're neither better nor worse. Some of these may be helpful. Some of them may not. Drink a glass of water. Just have a glass. If there's something really pressing on you, if some disaster has just taken place, if suddenly the world has fallen on you, every time you think of it, drink a glass of water. And as the water flows into you, see the simplicity and the purity God's peace flowing all through you, washing you clean. Another one is just to watch watch your breathing. Probably every one of you have done that. All released, all is peace is a mantra you can say with your breathing. All, all released as you breathe out. It's all gone. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a little soul proper. Do you realize how many times it... How many times we've done this thing? How many times we've had this little soap opera? Think of the, think of all the people in this world. Think of the little soap operas going on in various parts of Africa and India. Think of undiscovered tribes in South America, the Philippines and so forth, going through little soap operas. Can you picture someone in the, in the Tassadai not, not even having no contact with the rest of the world. Here's this somebody going through their little soap opera. We have done this for so long. 
We've done this over and over and over. What's so important about this soap opera? It's just like all the other soap operas. The only question is, do we want to keep living soap operas? There's an opportunity to, to awaken. There's an opportunity to awaken now. You do not have to repeat this. You do not have to repeat this. You can take your place with your brothers and sisters who have awakened and who are helping. You can help. You can be happy. You can have the peace of God. You will not have it unless you forgive totally. This world must be forgiven. Your parents must be forgiven totally. Your adolescent child. Your bad, bad dog. Any trick. I think I've told you about Johnny Romero who used to uh, run the Sunday school here along with Joe Lynn. He was used to be a dispatcher. He had, uh, I forget how many, 60, 70 cars a day. Or maybe it was more than that. I forget how many it was. And he was the person who would get the order when the car would come in and then he had to pass it on to the mechanic and everyone jumped on him. Although he had no authority over anyone. He's a middleman. He was the one that got jumped on. All day long he was jumped on. The car wasn't fixed in time. Why didn't you tell me about this? Da, 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 da. There was this little tube that came into his room. This little vacuum tube that brought the, the paper, the write-up paper. I may have told you about this. Every time he signed his signature, which was 60 or 70 times a day, he would pause for a second or two and remember God, remember home. Be comfortable. Be peaceful. Bless his day. Bless his body. Bless his job. Just for a second or two. Sixty or seventy times a day. It did not slow his work down at all. It made the job acceptable. Prayers come with little hooks like clothes hangers. You can hang a prayer on anything you wish to. See what you have not forgiven in your life. Hang a prayer on it. I know a probation officer who uh, does this with the people that she's going to see for the day. She's got the list of the people who are going to come into her office. She hangs a little prayer on each of them. She surrounds them in light. She blesses them. Now it's a blessing walking in the door. And the other great tool is stillness. It's very difficult to make a distinction between forgiveness and stillness, but the words seem to call for a distinction. So let's talk about that other great tool. To tame the mind. To bring the mind to happiness. We must develop a huge intolerance for fear. An enormous intolerance for fear. We have an enormous tolerance for fear right now. We put up with fear in almost every aspect of our life and we think this is a virtue and it is a weakness that goes to our legs, that goes to our heart, that goes to our soul, that goes to our mind. It is a weakness to tolerate fear. We tolerate, tolerate it in a hundred ways. We exaggerate when we tell a story. We put up with the anxiety that we feel when we exaggerate. That is a tolerance for fear. 
do not stop exaggerating. Stop the fear. And exaggerating will go. Because you don't want to have that gnawing little feeling when you're exaggerating. We bend over the wrong way. We've got how many people here, and don't raise your hands, but a lot of people here have lower back pain. <laughs> and so we go right on, not doing the very few little things that we know we could do. You just bend over the wrong way, and you're just put up with the fear that you feel. Or you eat the food that you know is going to, or you're afraid is going to hurt you. You just put up with the fear. You just go ahead and put up with it. We give testimonials to truth. And we are not honest. Because truth does not manipulate this world. And we put up with the anxiety. The falseness that we feel. We think we're encouraging someone in truth. We are not. We're encouraging them in an eventual discouragement to tell them that the truth of God is going to put money in their bank account and give them fancy cars and fill their wardrobes and so forth. This has nothing to do with the truth of God. And we feel anxious and we tell people these stories like that. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't nourish our bank account the same way we nourish our our vegetable garden. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have good health. But this has nothing to do with the truth of God. We cheat a little. It's all right, we say. Is it all right to cheat a little? Is it worth the fear? How much do we want the peace of God? We speed a little. We put up with it. Well, it'll get me there on time. I will put up with the fear. I may get caught. Maybe people shouldn't do this. Maybe this is not helping the nation. Maybe, 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 maybe. I'll put up with it. The chattering monkey now is chattering so loud we have to listen to it. It is not the monkey's fault. It's our fault. Don't give up speeding. Give up the fear. And the speeding will take care of itself. We don't wear the seatbelts. We don't lock the car. Now, none of these things, of course, I'm prescribing. I'm not saying that anyone should never go over the speed limit. I'm not saying that anyone should, everyone should wear seatbelts and everyone should lock their car and so forth. I'm talking about the fear that some of us feel when this thing is taking place. And it's so crazy that we are attracting negativity to ourselves if we put on this. Let's just look at that for a minute. We're attracting negativity if we put on the seatbelt. Okay, so let's look at the car. Uh, if we have a spare, we're attracting negativity because we might have a blowout, you see. Uh, we should get all rid of all the padding on the dashboard because that's there to protect us in case we hit that. We should, uh, shouldn't have steel belts in our tire because isn't that protecting us against a, a blowout? And we shouldn't have bumpers and, and we shouldn't have uh, tinted glass protecting us against the sun. We shouldn't have fenders. We shouldn't have a roof. Should you have a roof on your car? The first cars didn't have roofs. They didn't have bumpers. didn't have fenders and so forth. Paint? Should you have paint on your car? 
You see how crazy all this is? This is ego nonsense. Look at the fear. If it's scaring you, do something about it. If it makes you more peaceful to put on a seatbelt, you're not attracting negativity. Everything in this world is designed to protect you against something. Every single thing. You can look at it just the way we looked at the car just then. Everything is designed to protect you. You cannot live in this world and not do things that are designed to protect you. Okay. Let me end by giving you just a few tricks on how to obtain stillness. Stillness and quietness is used throughout A Course in Miracles. It's another word for God. It's, one, it's the one that Krishnamurti uses for God. Stillness. It's nothing more powerful, nothing more profound, nothing happier, nothing that will solve more problems more easily. A Course in Miracles came to speed things up. It is a time-saving tool. It's just one of a thousand. But it's a good one. And it does save time. And one of the primary emphasis here has been on saving time. It will save time not to fight these useless battles, but to walk around them. It will save time to learn how to still your mind rather than to fill it with affirmations against every single problem that you can think of. Affirmations are great, but use them to still the mind. Use them to bring you closer to God. Don't use them to put out little brush fires because you're going to have an endless list of affirmations and you're just going to replace one chattering monkey with a chattering baboon or something. That's all that's going to happen. It's a different kind of chatter. So let your affirmations bring you closer to home. Let your affirmations have something to do with not repeating a soap opera. Opening your heart. Bringing peace to your family. So what can we do? The great disturber of mental peace is fear. And so when we relinquish fear, we bring about true stillness. And one way to bring about fear, the release of fear, is to give the fear to another person who we know can take the fear and safely hold it for us. I did this recently with my fear of black pepper. I went to someone who told me I had nothing to fear from black pepper. In fact, prescribed a great deal of black pepper for me. This was a person that I personally trusted. And now black pepper does not bother me. Not, I didn't do anything with the fear. I gave the fear to this man. And now he carries it for me. He does not take it on himself. He's not now afraid of it. He bears it. And tells me that in truth I have nothing to worry about. We can do this. That's a simple trick. Use it. Once again, you can still the body. Many people, most people, maybe all of us at this point cannot still our mind without first stilling our body. So practice stilling your body during the day. And this will begin to still your mind. This does not mean that you go through the day in slow motion. These are little periods of stillness. You see, Do not begin lisping and, and uh, winking your eyes very slowly and so forth. We're not, we're not talking drugs here. 
We're talking just moments of quieting the body. And with the quietness of the body will come a degree of stillness to the mind. There are physical things that we can do about that. You all know these things. Use them if they're helpful. Take three deep breaths. Do that right now. Let everyone do that. Breathe it in as slowly as you can. Hold it for a little bit and then breathe it out as slowly as you can. No, we're not bodies, but we think we're bodies. And we think that's where we're anxious. You see? And so we do this. Three deep breaths. Now you have to be a little happier as a result of that. You see? A little teeny, teeny bit happier. <laughs> you all know about the progressive relaxation, you know, where you tense up first your foot and then your calf muscles and then your knees and then you come on, you tense up the muscles and then you relax them. You tense up your feet, you relax them. You tense up your calf muscles, you relax them. You tense up your knees, you tense up your thighs, you go all the way up the body. Or if you prefer, you go down, starting like that. Try that if you would like. You do not have to do that. Watch your breathing. The simplest form of meditation. Try that if you'd like. Try resting. We do not rest enough. We must look at our body as if it were a pet dog. We've said this before. We have to look at it as if it's someone else's body and see, oh, we must identify with our body. Isn't that a strange thing to say in a church that's devoted to A Course in Miracles? You must identify with your body. You must look at it and see what it's going through and find a way not to put it through this because it will keep you from the peace of God because you listen to it. And you have got to make the body disappear. And the way to do that is to identify with your stomach. Identify with your liver. Identify with your your the corn on your foot. Identify with it and you'll see what to do. Now the corn cannot talk to you. There's watching each thought. Just watching each thought. As if it were some funny character in a parade. Just look what it's doing. It disappears. You are the sunlight. The thought disappears as you as you watch it. And there's imagery. Think of your mind. Let's do this together. Think of your mind as a pond, as a pool of water right now. It's ruffled. Now, of course, it isn't very ruffled now, but just think of it as ruffled. Your mind is a pool of water. A lovely pool of water. Still the pool of water. Until it is a perfect reflector of the light of God. It's like a mirror now. Completely still. Okay. 
You can talk to your mind. Talk to it as if it's a little child. Say, be, be still, little mind. Be restful, little mind. Be happy, little mind of mine. Talk to it. It's all right. That's a mental trick. Use it. So what we've been talking about today is God. To tame the mind is to turn from what we think of as our mind. It's a scary business in the beginning. We think the ego mind is the only mind we've got. In the beginning, we, it feels like erasing your own mind to do this. There's some fear involved in this. But actually not. It is the recognition of the fear that was always there. So this is quite different than putting yourself into a situation that causes fear. This is taking a moment to see how stirred up you are as you go through the day. And you wish something else for yourself. This is the practicing of the present. The word present, the word now, is synonymous with the word God. With the word home. With the word love, the word happiness. We begin to practice now. We remain in the present. Don't ask how to do that. Bring your mind gently back to the present. Over and over. And you'll begin to see it. You probably do not see it yet. But you can. This is our opportunity to awaken. I haven't said that before. In quite those terms. But we must say it. There is a core of people that come to this church. This is an opportunity to awaken. We will not have to repeat this if we do it this time. A Course in Miracles is a, is a set of very simple tools. You do not have to read it. You can get it from me. You can get it from Jerry Jampolsky. You can get it from other books. You can get it from other people. Or you can use another system altogether. But we have good, good tools now. Do you really want to be born again and go through all this stuff one more time? Chasing after this and that? Being upset over a meaning, hundred meaningless things? Look at the mountains that you're about to climb. Do you wish to do this? Do you want the acclaim of the world? Do you truly want the riches of the world? We run after things without even asking ourselves if we want them. Do you want great eminence and respect? Do you really want it? Look at the people who have it. Look at the people who are freaks when they walk down the sidewalk. Because they're famous. Or they're respected. Or they're revered. Do you truly want that? Let us be happy. Let us be peaceful. Let us go home. Let us truly help each other. Let us put ourselves in a position where we can reach out and help someone who's in pain. By just one simple thought, by just one simple word said in our mind to theirs. Let us feel this river of peace that flows between all of us. 
every single person in this little town of 50,000 people, our brothers and sisters, and throughout the world. 